Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Welcome to another edition of the Revelation Project Podcast. Today, I'm with guest Andrea Powell, who is the co-founder of Karana Rising, a survivor-led nonprofit that dares to support survivors of human trafficking and sexual exploitation for life. With her team, she offers survivors a chance to lead in their lives while healing from their past. She is also the director of survivor engagement at Unitas. Is that, am I saying that right? Unitas. <laughs> Unitas. And is the founder of Fair Girls, an organization offering safe housing to young women survivors of human trafficking. Andrea is an author and an artist. Her work has been featured in the Washington Post, New York Times, BBC, and NBC Think. She enjoys creating multimedia art and writing. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Now, tell me, did I say Karana Rising correctly? You did. And Karana actually means dear one in Latin. Oh, I love that. What I wanted to start with, what immediately kind of jumped out at me is when you described this portion that you guys dare to support, dare to support survivors of human trafficking. And I wanted to get curious about that word dare. Absolutely. So I have worked with over a thousand survivors of, of human trafficking and sexual exploitation in my career. I was 22 when I started this journey with my first nonprofit, Fair Girls. And what I saw over the years is that so many organizations for often very legitimate reasons, they focus on a certain period of time, like the crisis period or that sort of initial exiting of, of the exploitation of the trafficking. And that makes good sense. But what I've learned is that survivors often come to the situation of being trafficked because they're vulnerable, because they don't have people, they don't have support. They've experienced homelessness, poverty, domestic violence, living in foster care, being forced out of their homes. There's so many different bad things that led to the trafficking situation in the first place. So to truly thrive after trafficking, it takes years of rebuilding. And it also takes having a lot of love yeah. around you. Because that feeling that love grow within yourself, seeing that love modeled by other people. And so at Corona Rising, we're really a sisterhood. Um, and one thing that, that really you know, stands out for me and is I'm really happy about uh, every day is that my team members predominantly are young women who were my clients many years ago. And now they're my colleagues. Mm. And we are building an organization that's meant to support survivors well after their exploitation. So certainly reaching those as they're exiting their exploitation, but staying there and connected for two years, five years, 10 years. And maybe it's not that everyday crisis work, but we're daring to show that it is possible to stay together and to look at this as, as a labor of love. This isn't just direct services or advocacy or an issue. This is genuinely a family. I love that because I do think that one way that we're starting to see so many shifts and changes 
in the world is in women supporting each other in this way. And these sisterhoods in all directions, I'm just seeing so much growth, but it's the community. You know, there's been, you know, we certainly talk about the patriarchy a lot on this particular show. But one of the things that the patriarchy celebrates is this idea of individual success. Right. But there's no like community there's no unity mindedness about that. And I think what that ends up doing is creating so much isolation and separation. And of course, there's a vicious cycle it perpetuates, which totally feeds into this. So and I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit more. But I'm so curious too. what drew you to really working with survivors of human trafficking in the first place? Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I wanted something that's going to be a little offbeat and then I will answer your question. Yeah. But quite some time ago, I was with someone and he made a comment about a particular woman in his life being catty. And I think he knew the minute he said it that uh, he was about to get a speech from me as he looked immediately disappointed in himself. But what I tried to explain to him is that over history and, and our culture and US culture and Western cu- culture, for women to express anger, to express frustration was at our detriment. We are constantly analyzing, is that guy just says something gross to me? Can I say something back? Should I minimize myself? How am I going to get by? And so women have learned to express anger in more covert, safe ways, Mm. which looks very different from how a man can express his individuality or his anger or what he's going through. And so you often see that, that women in particular who've experienced exploitation or violence they try to contain it. They try to find other ways to address the anger and the trauma. And that often results in self-sabotage and very unhealthy coping and bonding mechanisms like alcohol, substances, not trusting other people, uh, not believing in yourself and thus not taking opportunities. So that all kind of feeds into what has really made me want to work with survivors. My whole life, I I've always been drawn to reaching that other girl in the classroom who everyone else either made fun of or I could tell she was struggling. And, you know, along the way, I've experienced my own, you know, traumas around sexual assault and domestic violence. And so, you know, there comes a a level of understanding, but it was really while I was living in Germany when I was 17, I had a little friend who was a couple of years older and she was a wife to a man who was much older than us. For a while, I thought he was her grandfather, but then I figured out eventually it was her husband and she had been sold um, by her parents to him as a debt payment. And she was struggling a lot with physical abuse by him and his other wives. And when she disappeared, we, we were planning for her to run away and come home with me <laughs> to Texas, which we, we this would not, not have been a successful immigration story. However, we were going to try it. And then she disappeared. And the police said to me in Germany, that just happens to girls like that. Uh, 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 yeah. And that it was not just that my friend was missing. Mm. It was that statement. I wanted to see every young woman and girl treated as valued and loved no matter what her background is, the color of her skin, her ethnicity, her socioeconomic background. It doesn't matter. No one deserves to be exploited and no one can sign up to be a slave, which is what was happening to her. And so that happened when I was 17 and I just couldn't, I couldn't let it go. I was really scared to start my first nonprofit, but a a wise friend of mine said, even if you only help one person, that's one life that will be better for what you're trying to do. And I've, 
met so many amazing survivors since then and, and create seeing a community build around this conversation. We have a lot to do, but this is certainly something that more people are aware of and are starting to understand. And that really makes me happy. I love what you're pointing to, too, in, t- in terms of like what initially activated you. That activation really led to revealing your purpose in the world. And I love, too, what your friend said to you about, you know, if you only serve or help one person, that equation, again, back to kind of how we look at success in this society or what types of dreams we pursue based on what we've been kind of told about what a successful woman looks like or what a successful job. And certainly we're not encouraged to go into the arts or nonprofits, right? But and I'm so crazy. I started two nonprofits. <laughs> which, I must really make money. <laughs> which I love. Well, it's so interesting because I, I have the privilege of working with a woman who wrote the book, The Soul of Money. And what I love about that is the idea that you can use money for good. And it's about mm-hmm. it is about really helping activate kind of that soul connection to money. But I loved that story so much. And I'm wondering, like, I know that you said you guys have your hands in so many different projects and right now, but I'm wondering, is there anything specific that you're working on right now that you want to kind of tell us about? Definitely. Um, there's actually a couple of things, but the first thing I wanted to to bring up, I have, I don't know if you've seen this documentary, The Octopus Teacher. I lo- it, literally, I just got the chills again because that story, I, I'm like, I think it's the top movie for me of like the last five years. I just loved it so much. Well, I I just watched it and I had the strangest epiphany. I texted my therapist and she's like, "We're definitely going to be exploring this in your next session." I realized that my octopus mm-hmm. <laughs> that is teaching me is a young woman named Tiffany Simpson. Tiffany was 17 in 2012 when she was arrested for sex trafficking and aggravated assault of a child. What had actually happened is that her 34-year-old trafficker had beaten her, stabbed her, gotten her pregnant, drugged her, and then forced her to contact a little girl who was 13. Um, and he then assaulted this little girl as well. Uh, So the police came and they arrested Tiffany. And all this time I thought, you know, it's my job to help Tiffany get her her record vacated, to get her out of prison. She's serving a 20-year sentence starting when she was 17 years old. The judge in her sentencing order actually said that's what you get for shacking up with a pimp. Uh, just it, it's an abysmal case. So all along, I've been thinking it's my job to get her out. This is my service. This is what I do. I'm going to help free her. She sent me a letter in 2012 because she had wa- seen an article in USA Today. Her dad sent it to her. He's also in prison for life. And so in her letter, she said, I read your story. I'm curious. Am I a victim of trafficking and not a prostitute? Mm. And I stayed up all night handwriting statutes of the law and all kinds of every. You have, there was no internet at the time for her in the jail. So I had to handwrite 30 pages. I did it. I did not sleep that night. And, and thus began our journey now eight years later. And I think we're pretty close to starting to get her out. And when I was watching the octopus teacher, I realized this story, if this were a story, it would look like a story about racism, sexism, sex trafficking, abuse, violence against women. But it's actually a love story. Mm. This is actually a love story because I have learned in spending time with her how to truly open up with someone else and truly create a sisterhood. And I've I've never met her. I've never gotten to see her. And 
you know, my mom writes her letters, my six-year-old has written her letters. I mean, she's become part of family. When she gets out of jail, she's welcome to live with me. And so I wanted to share that because one, I think people often miss the point that when you're working to change the world, you have to be very willing to let the world change you. Oh, (laughs) I've been like cry, which is okay. It is, it is. Totally moved by that. I was going to say, you know, it's, I heard Glennon speaking this morning and she was talking about actually the gentleman that would show up in front of the White House every day with a candle lit and that every single night he would show up and a reporter eventually went to him and said, you know, do you really think you're going to change the country by standing here with your, your candle? And his response was, no, I'm standing here with my candle to make sure that the world doesn't change me or the, you know, the country doesn't change me. But it, it reminds me of what you're talking about. You know, it's again, it's like this idea. One would think that this work would make you hard, right? It would make you have to grow a crust around your heart that was just impenetrable in order to be with what you see and hear on a day-to-day basis. But what I'm hearing you say is that it's actually allowing you to open even more, expand your heart and your love for others even more. Absolutely. And to understand, there's a lot of terminology in in my field around disability, around like you should be on antidepressants, antipsychotic, you should, you know, fix yourself, all of this language. But what if we were to look at it from the other perspective? I have this young young woman who I've known for a long time, and she has multiple personality. And it's a result of an extreme trauma at a, at a particular age. And so she reverts back to that age. She disassociates. Well, all this concern, I couldn't get her identity documents. We, we were going crazy trying to support this young lady for years because society would not accept how she is. And it finally dawned on me, she's not disabled. It was completely reasonable to leave her body and recreate herself with that level of an extreme trauma. It's society that's disabled. Yes. Not her. And that has been sort of one of opening in this and also feeling like more comfortable saying, I'm here, answer here, we're here together. And we're together trying to make our lives better. But in order to do that, you have, you have to have an open heart in this work. You can't get hard because once you are hard, you're no longer going to be of service yeah. to anyone. Yeah. Tiffany really pushed that envelope with me. I was scared. We have a change.org petition. It's free tiffanysimpson.com. I was scared to, to tell her story. Obviously, she gave me permission. I've been working with her for a long time. But... I was scared of being judged. And I told Tiffany that I said, I'm a little scared, you know, that people are going to judge you and I don't want anything bad to happen. And she was like, I'm not scared because if one person believes me, maybe that person is a cop. And the next time they see a girl like me on the street, instead of arresting her, they'll help her. And there's so much here in this conversation because I immediately go to that part of the conversation because I even marked it on my notebook. I was like, why in your you know form that you fill out for the podcast, I was thinking to myself, wow, the reason you wanted to be on this show and you, you know, honored me by accepting my invitation, but we always ask that you had said, 
Because you want this to reach other women who might wonder if they're too survivors of human trafficking. And your story about Tiffany, now it's making sense to me because, and it's not that I'm not over here sitting here knowing that, of course, women don't make the correlation because they've been conditioned in a society to that actually exploits them constantly. And so you don't have necessarily an understanding that you're not a prostitute, that you've actually been exploited and trafficked. Right. And, and people are conditioned to silo their experiences. For all of my career and my own personal life too, it's not like you're just going about your business and boom, you get trafficked and then suddenly you're not trafficked. Like it, there's this there's a continuum of trauma and there's a continuum of healing as well. And to be able to understand and lean into your past can be part of your power. What's happened to me in my past is a big piece of how I'm able to support other survivors. And the same goes for everyone on my team. Um, I also uh, work with an organization called Unitas. And my part of my mission there is to talk to parents about how to prevent trafficking in their kids' lives, how to identify risk factors. And that's scary. And I wrote this parent guide along with my team team members at Unitas. And we did a a podcast and a web show. And then like right after it was all over, my little nine-year-old, she she was playing a video game called Roblox. And I hope somebody who works at Roblox is listening to this, Uh, but they have a terrible platform and strangers and adults can get to kids. And it happened to her. This guy sent her a picture, was trying to get her address. Luckily, she came to me. And in that moment, I was panicked. I wanted to just put the iPad in the toilet. Like I just, I had to like use my own parent guide on myself uh, to calm down and realize, okay, it's okay that this happened. It's a teaching moment. And I'm so lucky because I understand the issues and, the, and I have the mental resources to work with her. And that really opened my eyes to the fact that we have to be able to talk about this issue in an open way because a lot of people are feeling it, experiencing it, and they're hiding because they're ashamed. They're scared of being judged. They're scared that if their kid, you know, was sextorted online, if friends find out, they won't let their kids play with her kid. You know, there's all this fear. But what if we, if we really start talking about it, what we're going to, I think, learn is we've all been a survivor of something. Mm-hmm. And we actually can understand each other. It's great that we have such strong individuality in this country, but that shouldn't come at the expense of our ability to have compassion for one another and to ask for compassion for ourselves. It's such a great point. And again, like so much of this work that you're doing is it's it, it intersects so many different issues that are going on in the world. And again, like I just grabbed a few statistics and I don't know, you know, if... You can validate some of these, but I just wanted to kind of read some of these for a minute. So this was from the International Labor Organization, estimates that there are approximately 40.3 million victims of human trafficking, that 81% are trapped in forced labor, that 25% of them are children, that 75% of them are women and girls. It's a $150 billion industry, and I say that, and I just want to vomit, and that one out of six of those trafficked are endangered runaways. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, I think the other statistic I found interesting, really just morbidly fascinating, was that 86% are in the care of social services or foster care, 
when they ran and when they became vulnerable to that situation happening to them. Yeah. I mean, those are really, I think it's when people hear statistics, sometimes they sort of disassociate with the numbers. Mm. But do you think of like, okay, a classroom of kids. And then you think about, well, okay, one kid leaves the room and nobody really notices two kids, three kids, four kids. But with the foster care system, you have droves of kids who just simply vanish or kids who slip by that people don't notice, oh, they're not in school anymore, or they're not, you know, coming to after school programming. They're, trafficking is like, it's like a disappearing act. Mm-hmm. And slowly those who are vulnerable and become enslaved disappear from our society in the everyday sense. And so in a way, I, it's, like a, it's like a magic trick to make them reappear. That's part of my job. And, and to, to reestablish that wholeness. One thing that, that really shocked me in my work in, in Washington, D.C. is that up until recently, if you were a child who was, say, involved with the juvenile justice system, maybe for theft, maybe for running away, maybe for you know, skipping school, and then you, you disappear. There's no active search. Nobody looks for you because you're considered a fugitive of the law, not a runaway. And so I really think we have to reimagine how we frame the topic around, like, for example, runaways. They're not running away towards something. Something's pushing them away. They're, they're pushed away, not run away. And we as a society think of them as, you know, bad kids or kids who are just kind of lost causes. And it's, it's really that these are kids who are trying to survive. Mm-hmm. And then you have individuals who are exploiting them here in this country. I've worked with survivors who are foreign nationals who you know, are involved in labor trafficking situations. And those often involve people who are struggling with economic vulnerability, with issues back at home. They're trying to build a better life for themselves. They're trying to survive. And so it's really, it's just really important that we see people as whole in this process. And I often think about the fact that like labor exploitation, like people don't think about how bad it is. But if you can imagine, like, I don't know how many listeners will have experienced it, but if you ever like work, you know, a waitressing job or a job where you have to get a tip and people don't leave you a tip, I'm going to use a very simple example. It feels crappy. Like you feel like you've worked really hard and that's part of your expectations. But what if that happens over and over and over and over and over again? It starts to make you feel less worthy. Mm-hmm. And so in addition to the violence, in addition to the control, in addition to the abuse, your sense of self-worth, be it in a labor trafficking situation or a sex trafficking situation changes. And we were talking earlier about money. Money is a trauma source for many survivors of trafficking because they've been told you're never going to be worth anything. You don't know how to survive. Um, you, You don't know how to live in the world. You don't know how to manage money. That's why I'm having to control everything. And so you walk out of that situation with like a fear of managing money. And that's a part of life. And so one of the things that we, we do at Chrono Rising is we work with survivors to create artisan products and jewelry and then help them sell it online. So we're really kind of, it's, 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 it's art therapy, but a part of that process too is saying, no, actually you have beautiful worth. You can create something dynamic and meaningful and your trafficker was just totally wrong. That's part of a beautiful awakening that I've seen with so many survivors to see that you actually do know how to live your life and, and you have a right to, to that. Absolutely. This whole topic about wholeness and again, how we approach victims, it's, it's, uh, it's often the way we talk about the poor, 
Right. It's this same idea of that, you know, these are incredible people. They're resilient people. They're resourceful people. They're courageous people. It's this shifting that kind of like blame and lens in terms of, again, completely transforming that conversation into a conversation of empowerment and taking great pride in seeking, and I'm sure the rehabilitation process is immense for certain individuals, and that there is an incredible amount of damage that gets done, but it's it's the internal healing, it's the internal validation, it's the internal self-worth, it's the internal value that needs to be restored. Right. After years and years and years of that being eroded, you know, and again, I'd love to zoom out for a minute here. And look from the perspective, again, of this system and these intersecting systems, because, again, we talked about money. So there's the industry, the capitalism, the sexism, the the racism. There's so much here in terms of the world and universe of isms in creating this incubation tank for these types of traumas to continue to be perpetuated across the world. And yet there's a tremendous amount of hope because there's so much happening in favor. But what I want our listeners to really kind of tap into here is, you know, what can you tell us about just the basics, like the 101, like what do we need to know to not only be informed, but that are often myths that may kind of create a lot of misinformation. So I'm not sure where you want to start because I'm not formulating my question very well because this topic is like so big. Right. Yeah. Maybe let's start with, okay, so I'm sitting at home as a parent and I'm just noticing how even in this conversation, I've got my two who are now older, and I feel like we're past the danger zone. And then I'm like, oh, don't fool yourself. Meaning, you know, I have an 18 year old and a 15 year old. So, you know, the fact of the matter is so much of the when I was doing my research, I even was looking into how dating apps have become. And so I want to measure this conversation and say, like, yes, let's educate ourselves, but also let's really walk away from this conversation empowered and with a much greater sense of knowing what we can do as parents and individuals to make sure that A, this doesn't happen in our families, and B, what can we do to help you? Right. No, I'm so... I'll start with this. Human trafficking at its core is about people who are willing to exploit someone else's vulnerabilities. Traffickers kind of have three strategies. They'll either say, I can be your boyfriend or girlfriend, like a romantic partner. I can be a family member. I can be a loved one. I can take care of you. That's a particularly effective lure for a kid in foster care. Uh, Or I can offer you a better life. I can help you become a singer. I can help you escape the, the, the war and the poverty in your country. I can, you know, make sure that your children get to go to school. So it's preying upon people's dreams. Trafficking is made up of three elements, force, which would be like kidnapping or physical confinement, fraud. So that like promise, like I'm going to give you a better life or I'm going to love you and coercion. Like I'm going to hurt you or someone you love. So People often think that trafficking only happens to people over there, but mm-hmm. 95% of the people I've served here in the United States are U.S. citizens. Uh, the vast majority are young women and girls of color. 
So there is a strong link between structural racism, class and poverty to who is vulnerable toward trafficking. And oftentimes traffickers come from similar backgrounds as their victims, which helps create trust. But also we have to ask the question about how did that happen? Mm-hmm. You know, how has a community sort of embraced exploitation as part of its narrative to survive? So there's there's a lot of, of deep questions there. Um, people often think if you came into this country illegally, that you can't be a victim of trafficking. And, and so I often break it down. Smuggling is a crime against a border or a state. Trafficking is a crime against a person. So if you enter the country illegally, that does not mean that everyone gets to exploit you. You have rights, you have protection, you should be able to access and get help. Your immigration status does not have anything to do with whether or not you're a trafficking victim and whether you can get help. Another thing that people don't realize is that traffickers more and more use the internet to lure and exploit people. You can have a child, and I'm sorry to all the parents who are about to freak out when I say this, your kid can be in the other room and playing a video game and be forced by a stranger to start taking sexual photos or videos those videos can then be sold to other people. And what that actually means is your child is being trafficked while in your house. And so that's not said to scare, to understand our vulnerabilities are much deeper than, than just on the outside world. And, and right now we have millions of kids who are at home trying to learn. They're isolated. They want to be able to play games like Roblox, right? But Roblox has put parents in a really difficult position, not just Roblox, but online gaming, because we want our kids to socialize. We want our kids to be able to learn new skills. We want them to be able to connect. They can't do it in the real world as the way we would like for them to. But at the same time, these people who are creating these games are fundamentally misunderstanding how they're perpetuating vulnerability and the potential for exploitation. And there has to be some coming in the middle. And part of that is parents having to talk with their kids, be they a six-year-old on a game or a 16-year-old who's dating online. Mm -hmm. Something like 48% of 18 to 24-year-olds are dating online. I bet it's more. I bet some people just didn't cough up the information when asked. Yeah, say that statistic again. 48% of 18 to 24-year-olds are dating online. Wow. It's like my brain didn't want to listen to that, but that is real. Okay. Yes. And then there's nothing wrong with that, but one thing that we're trying to do at, at Unitas is we really want to talk to people at you know, Hinge and Bumble and places like that to say, hey, look, could we work with you to train your team, but also to provide information to your users, your daters, to help them understand, well, what would be what would be a scenario? Right. Like, what does it look like? What does it smell like? What does it sound like? Like, here's one. Here's Here would be a way, which I know this is how one particular trafficker used an online dating app. He pretended to be an interested person for a date. Then after several conversations, the girl really likes him. He says, I hate to tell you this, but I am seeing someone else and I've decided to make that exclusive, but you're so beautiful. I also work with this talent agent. And Mm -hmm. if you're interested, I'd love to introduce you to him and see if you'd be interested in modeling. And so she's flattered, right? And then she eventually agrees to meet in person and boom, you're done. She doesn't know who that person is. She fell for the lure. She's not telling anyone about this situation. So she's gone. And there was just a case like this out of Dallas, Texas. So it's it's important, I think, that we come together with these companies, be it dating apps or games, to say, like, we're talking to our kids, but we need your help to reach people too, to reach your users too. And it doesn't mean we have to shut you down. It's not about trying to ruin your business model. In fact, 
it would be good business practice to show your users that you care about them, that you don't want them to be abused or exploited and to tell them, okay, if something looks shady or something happens, you can report it to us, you can block that person, but you can also get lot like there's different things you can do to protect yourself. And here are some tips and strategies. So I, I'm hoping that these places that we've written to will respond And I'm really hoping that we can more and more show that while certain groups of people are more vulnerable, i.e. young girls of color, kids in the foster care system, right now with the pandemic, there's a vulnerability everywhere. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And if you're not able to talk about the issue, you're even more at risk. So that's why I think it's just so important and why Unitrust, we developed our parenting guides. um, And we worked with a lot of survivors to also develop materials to talk to kids in schools, which obviously is a frustrated scenario right now with all the schools mostly closed, but also to to educate teachers and service providers and frontline responders, along with another survivor, I train law enforcement on what trafficking looks like so that, you know, they don't end up arresting girls like Tiffany, but instead realize this person's in crisis and needs help. I'd love it if you could actually go into that a little bit more deeply. What does that look like? How would you kind of train that officer what to look for? And then I'd love to revisit just again, kind of what we parents can do at home and whether there are some resources that maybe we could point our listeners to. Absolutely. So in talking to law enforcement, some of the things that we share, and I think this is something anyone could could learn and, and benefit from knowing You're looking for things like, is this kid missing school every Thursday and Friday? Is this kid showing signs of distress? Do they have a sudden new older boyfriend or girlfriend? Do they have like a new phone or new things that you know they can't afford? Are they more secretive? Are they pulling back from things they enjoy doing? Are they leaving home and not coming home at night? You know, there certainly can be physical signs. And indications of heightened sexuality and uh, increased, you know, sexual partners. There's there's a lot of things that you look for. And then also, you know, if you're a police officer, are you seeing a kid who can't tell you where they are? They don't really understand their surroundings. Are they around excessive amount of hotels? Are they, do they have a lot of cash, you know, near them? Do they have an older person with them that doesn't look like that person is related to them? Those are things to look for. My colleague, Ashley at Corona Rising, um, she actually breaks it down. And every time we train officers, <laughs> she, they always ask rightfully, well, what can we do, you know, for like, if we meet another 13 year old girl like you who was being trafficked instead of arresting her the way that you were arrested, what can we do? And Ashley always says it so simply. She says, you could just not arrest children. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Like it really is that simple that there's no crime being done. This is a child. Right. And and the thing is, we, you know, we used to have thousands of kids arrested for prostitution in this country, state by state. States are now prohibiting that, but they're missing kids who are being picked up for like what's called status offenses, like truancy or leaving home or, or a curfew violation. Those kids need to be screened for trafficking, too, because there's a lot of other things. Right. So, so it's what I'm hearing you say is all of these are signals. All of these are, are like micro cries for help or maybe even macro cries for help. Like when you talk about the fact that is this child missing school repeatedly? Are they, there's some things here that are macro and some that are, are micro, but it's again being aware of what these signs and signals are and, and getting curious, but also having a way to, educate teachers law enforcement i mean really society at large there's 
Right. There's so much, I think, that was revealed even in terms of, you know, domestic servants who were trafficked, basically. Right. Like there's it being maids or nannies. Right. And, and that exploitation often can be a slippery slope. You can have, you know, a young woman, say, from, you know, Belarus or Mexico, they come here to be an au pair and they're getting paid a little less than they thought. Then their, their payment's late. Then they're working extra hours. Then they're not, you know, they're being told they can't leave the house, that they have to stay. Then they're told they can't talk to their family members. Now they realize that their identity documents are missing. And it's like brick after brick after brick until they can't see their way out. Mm-hmm. And so it's important for us as society to be able to see in yeah, and see what's going on. And I think that's what's really critical, um, you know, for parents or really anyone who's listening, uh, Unitas, we actually have a parent guide uh, that has accompanying videos and documents. And so I will send you a link to that so that you can add that to your, your podcast and the show. And I really think it's important for people to understand that we are, that this conversation has to get real. I'm really excited about an event that, uh, that I'm working with my Unitas team on next week. There's a, a wonderful uh, model named Masha Gutich, who's going to be having a conversation with us live streaming to talk about what she's seen in the modeling industry. Mm-hmm. And how so many kids, you know, they want to be influencers, they want to be Instagram famous, they want to be models. And that industry is really rife for exploitation. And it's, I mean, even I get all kinds of bizarro requests on my Instagram, like, hey, you know, you model this for us, insert skimpy bikini thing. And I'm always like, I will not model for you. However, I will take your information and pass it along to other people who might want to meet you. <laughs> so. Yeah who might want to get really curious about what your real intention is or yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's this detective named Steve. He really wants to meet you. Um, <laughs> yeah. St- and he looks great in a bikini. Yeah. Yeah. And he's, he's totally down. <laughs> Unfriggin' believable, right? <laughs> right. Well, I'm like, it's like, it's just, it's mind boggling. It's like when the, when that guy sent those creepy photos to, to this nine-year-old girl in my life. And and I thought to myself, you picked the wrong kid, buddy. But the reality is it's very hard to monitor that. That's why it's so important. You have to educate your kids. You know, I, there was a family recently, their teenage son was sextorted online. He wanted to be a model. He was tricked sending photos. They, the, the, then he, he got scared. He realized something was wrong told his parents. So later I was talking to his mom and she was in tears. She was sobbing on the phone. I've never met her talking on the phone. And she was like, what have I done wrong? And I said, stop right there. Do you know, you must've done so many things right for your teenage son to stop and tell you what happened instead of swallowing that fear or worse, continuing to send the photos and his eight-year-old brother down the hall might be exploited too. You did something right by talking to your kids about trafficking and by showing them that they can trust you. They're not going to get in trouble. And being approachable, that that they're not going to get in trouble. And you're bringing up something that I think is so important here, because one of the things that I'm really, I'm really struggling with, and I'm sure I'm not the only parent that's struggling with this, is I raise, like I said, I have a girl and a boy, and I've I really teach them sexual sovereignty on all levels. It's like, it's your body. It's all of the things. And it's that sacred. And there are predators and there, and it's about having that and conversation because what we don't want to do, I think, 
and this is certainly something that I know to be true for my own self, is that, you know, sex wasn't talked about at all because it was like this, you know, like if we don't talk about it, we, we don't have to worry about it kind of mentality growing up. And this, that was that was a whole generation of people. And, you know, I vowed that I would be completely different and be very open about it. And I know that I'm not necessarily in the majority, that there are a lot of people that are still very afraid to have the sexual conversations with their children, you know, would prefer to kind of look away. And so there's just this, I think, again, like everything, uh, two sides to the coin. Right. And, and I and striking that balance of saying, you can trust me, you can come to me with anything. And here are some lessons and, and things that I've learned. You know, I, I say in, in talking to kids, you know, it's just it's saying like, okay, I don't have all the answers. I'm not inside your body or your mind. However, I've seen these things. I've learned these things. What do you think about that? My little girl likes the story of Malala and the magic pencil. Mm-hmm. Malala at the end is like, I can change the world. You know, it's very, you know, amazing. It's an amazing story, uh, both the young woman and, and the, the, the book itself. And so I asked my daughter the other night, I said, what was something that you could do tomorrow to change the world? And she was quiet for a minute. And she said, I saw a homeless man getting food out of the trash. I could make him a sandwich. Hmm. And then the next day we were getting ready for work and school. And she says, how are we going to know what kind of sandwich he wants? And that I loved so much because she wasn't looking at others. She kept, she kept thinking, right. Kept thinking about it. And she was thinking about his humanity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like his dignity. Like, what would you like? More like, I would like to learn about you. Yeah. Telling your kids, I would like to learn about your world. And I want to make sure that you know this information because someday you're going to be out in the world. Uh, It might be tomorrow. It might be, you know, two, three years from now, but there will be something that doesn't feel right. Somebody will be doing something that doesn't feel right. I want you to know, here are some things to think about and following your gut instinct, because there's so much programming for kids of like, don't follow your instincts, follow the crowd, do this, do that peer pressure, particularly online to do sexy pictures, to do, to exchange sexual images and kids get into that, not realizing that can have very lasting effects. But what I loved with this young boy and his parents back from a couple months ago is he, he kind of blew the whistle. He actually, he actually went online and told all his friends what happened to him. Wow. And he said, if I want other kids to be protected and I'm not going to let this have power over me. Well, and that there it is, because shame is such such a power tool in terms of keeping and when no one can use that against you, right? when they just can't hold that power over you and you instead alchemize it and use what has happened to educate and empower other people. Right. That's just amazing. It's beautiful. And I always I say this and it sounds glib, but I mean it. One thing that traffickers hate is empowered kids. Yeah. They are no fun to traffic. They want someone vulnerable. And that vulnerability doesn't mean you're bad or you're stupid or you're weak or that you should be ashamed. Everybody has vulnerabilities. Everybody has things that are they're struggling with or things in their past. You know, trafficking isn't what someone isn't just a trafficking victim. That's something that's happened to them. Who they are is someone who's resilient. If you survive trafficking, i.e. slavery, you are one strong individual. So strong. So strong. And you've got to 
honor that instead of like, I, I don't like all those images of like sad, crying, trafficked kids. I mean, that is a reality. But what I, I prefer to see is someone who is standing up and saying, yes, I've been through this. Yes, it hurts. And I'm still here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It did not steal me. And, you know, I work with so many survivors who feel like they're just coming to terms with what's happened to them and wanting to speak out. And it's been such a beautiful, a beautiful journey. Um, Those who are listening can go on our Karana Rising website and uh, look up a a portion of our website in the learn section called Survivors Share This. And our survivors talk about issues like becoming a mom, becoming an advocate, finding a job, dating after sex trafficking. And it's really like, it's funny, it's raw, it's real. And I love seeing these young women who were my clients when they were teenagers now using their past as a way to reach others, but also to heal themselves. It's, it's really transformative. And I think kids need to see that, that, you know, we're, we're all in this together. We sure are. And I would love also just in terms of, you know, yes to the website links, but how else would you, what else do you really want us to know, like the world to know about Where do we need to stand and how do we need to get more involved? What are some just simple, easy ways to just make a difference in this, you know, just to counteract this and and end it? Well, and I think I'm going to start with the the reductive and and span out. Of of course, we need contributions at Corona Rising and at Unitas. Of course, financial stability for our survivor team is critical. Corona Rising and that that would be very meaningful. But I also invite people who are listening to think about what could they contribute from their own life? Are you a dentist? Well, guess what? A lot of trafficking survivors didn't have dental care. So they need, they need free dental care. Are you a lawyer? Would you be willing to help in a custody dispute for a trafficked, you know, a trafficked young woman to get her kids back from the foster care system? Are you a teacher? Do you know if there's adequate uh, school lunches and school breakfasts for kids who are hungry because hunger and poverty is a big risk factor toward trafficking? Is there a homeless shelter in your community? Would you be open to volunteering or giving some food because food insecurity for adults is a big risk factor? These are all ways to help. Also understanding you can easily find out, does your state still arrest children for prostitution and solicitation? If it does, then that's something you could write letters and advocate to your state or county legislators on. Uh, So there's a host of ways to get involved, ranging from the donations that are critical to volunteering to really figuring out, well, what do I, what do I like to do? I often tell people who want to volunteer, do something you love, because if you don't love doing it, you won't do it for very long. So pick something that is going to resonate. So for example, I love cooking, love it. One of my favorite things to do when I was running our safe home was cook for the girls and teaching them how to cook. And oftentimes with my daughter, we make food and give it to homeless people because we enjoy doing it. It makes an impact. It isn't going to change the world, just like the man with the candle. I'm not making the sandwiches, but I think I'm going to, that person's going to eat that sandwich and suddenly not be at risk toward trafficking and suddenly not be homeless. I'm just giving them something to feel better for the moment. And you know what? That's going to show them the next time they can reach out to help. They can, act, they can start to be seen and heard and, and really ask for support and help. And a little known fact is that homeless girls and homeless women hide their homelessness much more than men do because being a homeless girl means you're probably going to be sexually assaulted. Mm-hmm. 
So it's much harder for them to speak out. So when you see that young woman or that older woman who looks vulnerable or looks like something's not in place, being willing to say, you know, hey, um, not trying to get in your business, but are, are you okay? And just wait. Because the thing is, if your instinct is saying something's wrong, something's wrong. Mm-hmm. We're told not to listen. We're told not to be nosy. Frankly, I'm completely comfortable being nosy. Yeah. I'm completely fine with overstepping. It's one of my primary modes of transportation. But it's it's really about just seeing people where they're at. So for the everyday listener, everyday woman, listen to your instinct and find ways to get involved that work for you. And, you know, think about organizations that you want to support. I mean, it doesn't have to just be corona rising. It can be a homeless youth shelter in your community. It can be, you know, domestic violence program, finding what resonates with you because trafficking is built it's like a bad cake of homelessness, poverty, domestic violence, and the icing is trafficking. Yes. So if we can take away the cake, the icing has nowhere to go. That That is such a great point and such a valid point. And it's, it's like looking at all of these, just again, those intersecting forces and really getting that like there's, when you look again below the surface, you're able to see where it all connects, where it all just builds that that structure that needs to be obliterated and destroyed. And and I go back to just again, like being aware in our own communities, really looking more closely at each other, really being able to look at those who seem to be hurting without looking away and just getting curious. Yeah. And being and being open and being willing to to just connect. Yeah. And someone who if you've survived particularly I think sexual trauma you can kind of feel it on other people. There's an energy. It's not a bad thing. It's just, you know. And so I see that all the time. And I try to find little ways to not let that person necessarily know that I know, but to just give them that eye contact and that brief moment and with my eyes saying, I see you. Mm-hmm. It's okay. I see you. And that sometimes can make a really big difference in someone's life. I had a situation, this was a few years ago, it was a breakup, I was devastated, I was working in a coffee shop, and I started crying. And I was like, Oh, no, you know, in the middle of the coffee shop, and this woman comes over, I don't know her, I've never seen her. And very gently, she looks at me. And then she asks if she can hug me. And this woman, a total stranger, let me cry in her arms for 20 minutes. Oh, I didn't even get her name. She just left. And I can tell you exactly what she looks like and that I think that she's Russian and that's it. That's all I know. And, and the gift she gave me, I'll remember it for the rest of my life. Yeah. She just made herself available like an angel that just appeared and yeah. just gave you exactly what you needed. Exactly. Without expectation, without questions, without judgment. And then she left. And my sense is that probably she'd had a similar moment in her life. I think sometimes too, The reason that we don't get involved is this idea of like becoming responsible or something. And it's also trusting that if we see something that is out of sorts, that feels off, that there's also like just trusting that you've been exposed to this moment for a reason and that you're a piece of this person's healing puzzle. Yes. And just allowing yourself to get drawn in, not needing to look at the whole picture yet, because we have this way of kind of projecting. Right. Well, the solve it all kind of mentality, like, I'm okay, I know better, I'm going to fix your problems. And that's actually a very patriarchal 
interpretation of help. Yes. Whereas a much more feminist open model is saying, I'm, I don't have all the answers. I'm not here to fix you. You're not broken, but I'm here to be a part of that journey for you to feel better and to heal. And that, that could be helping you find a job that could be listening to you. That could be a simple hello. It could be a whole host of things, but true feminist leadership is, is letting those in need tell you what they need and not do it for them. Yay. I love, I love this conversation so, so much. It's been so rich. And I just, again, like want to thank you just for your huge heart, really. I mean, you have such an enormous heart. I'm sure that's not the first time that you've heard that. I can just tell it just emanates and radiates out of you. And there's so much here. So my final question is just, what would you say as just a, a parting kind of prayer or a parting request or whatever whatever you want for kind of the last statement you want to make to our audience. For those who are listening, I want you to find your octopus. Mm. I want you to find your teacher. And that could be your child. That could be a friend. That could be someone you're trying to help. But really listen to what the world is there to teach you be comfortable sitting with that silence and asking that question. Because when we start to do that, we start to see ourselves and humanity in a different way. And then on a very kind of basic request, I'll mention uh, Tiffany's petition again. It's at change.org and it's free Tiffany Simpson. And uh, you can see it there. You can go to our Instagram at we are Corona rising, but uh, we really we really want to free Tiffany. So if you could help us out by signing the petition or making a contribution or however you're comfortable, that would be really, really meaningful because she is my octopus. And so. Uh, 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 yeah, totally. Yeah. So for all, all our revealers, our listeners, let's, let's free Tiffany. Let's, let's get her home. Let's get her to a home. And, um, Obviously, you're, you've created such a such an amazing relationship with her. I can't wait for more to be revealed on that, for sure. Absolutely. I'm so excited for when she's free. She's never been to the beach. Oh. And I talked to her about the fact that I'm living on the beach right now. And the first thing that we're going to do when she gets out is I'm bringing her to the beach. <laughs> I don't know what we're doing after that, but that's step one. So. Well, isn't that appropriate for octopus? You know, like... Exactly. 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 If we actually see an octopus when this happens, I think <laughs> I might explode. I might actually explode. Oh, gosh. And for those of you that have not watched the movie, obviously, it's just, it's so beautiful. Then actually, a, a very funny story, just a quick one, <laughs> is that, you know, the night that I was watching that story, my daughter had a situation, actually, where she texted me, you know, and we have a code, and I won't say it out loud, but it, it just means, like, come pick me up. And I did. And it, but it was one of those moments where it's so interesting that we're having this conversation, I'm having this revelation in this moment that I left, went to pick her up from this situation that she wasn't comfortable in, didn't ask questions because I have agreed not to that, you know, yes, we would talk about it the next day, but didn't that night just got her out of whatever the situation was and but went back to that movie. And I remember having this like warmth come back over my chest when I reconnected with the movie because I couldn't it was like there was some way that I just was so immersed in the whole movie. I just found it to be like absolutely beautiful. So I love that metaphor, you know, that we 
that we all go and find our octopus teacher. So thank you again. Just this has been Absolutely. such an honor. And thank you, Monica. Yeah, and we'll we'll be sure to have you on the show again. And until then, more to be revealed. Well, maybe next time Tiffany can join. Yes, definitely. <laughs> We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.